Raiders Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Tuesday, August 25th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez, presented by Penn Medicine, the official health system of the Philadelphia Flyers and Wells Fargo Center. Game one is now in the books, and the Flyers find themselves down in a series for the first time this Stanley Cup playoffs. They go down 4 nothing to the New York Islanders in game number one. Flyers uh, looked ill-prepared to start this hockey game. They got outshot in the first period 15-4. to They were lucky to come out of the period down just one to nothing. Carter Hart making 14 saves in that first period, including a great save on Brock Nelson to keep it at one to nothing. Eventually, in the second period, Flyers with great pressure, but eventually great pressure just isn't enough. Eventually, that great pressure has to turn into goals. And while you have Flyers had some really good scoring chances and a lot of shots in that second period, they are unable to get anything by Semyon Varlamov and the frustration continues for the Flyers' leading scorers. Now, one of the top five leading scorers wasn't in the lineup for this game. That's James Van Riemsdyk, who was a healthy scratch with Nicholas Albe Kubel coming back in. But Sean Couturier, Claude Giroux, Travis Konechny, Kevin Hayes had a goal in, in the last game against Montreal. But um, when you look at all said and done, their top offensive players, while generating some good chances in game number one against the Islanders, came away with nothing and while it's good to come away with good pressure good zone time uh, good uh, puck possession if it doesn't result in goals it doesn't matter much the process was good in that second period and parts of the third the result was not and the result needs to be better and if it's not better and they don't come out uh, as a team ready to play in the first period the way they attacked that second period they'll go home from this series they need to be better and you need to be better from the start of the game you can't be playing catch-up in games. You can't be in a situation where you have to wrestle momentum away from your opponent because they came out more prepared to start the game than you did. Uh, the Flyers are going to have to be better in those regards. Chris Terrian is going to join us with his thoughts on Game 1 coming up in just a couple of moments. Very frustrating night for the Flyers. Uh, Senyan Verlamov has now gone 136 minutes and 20 seconds without giving a goal, uh, giving up a goal. The last goal he gave up was Game 4 against the Caps with 3.40 to go, or 3.40 in, rather, to the third period of that Game 4 where the Islanders lost. They had the opportunity to sweep the Caps in that game. The Caps came storming back and scored three unanswered goals and extended the series, but eventually shut out the Caps in Game 5 to move on to this round against the Flyers. So back-to-back shutouts for Semyon Varlamov, who's been really good for the Ca- or for the Islanders in these playoffs. He's played every minute of every game uh, for the Islanders. Uh, Carter Hart was decent in the game. Uh, the first goal, uh, a lot of screens, layered screens set up in front of Hart. Don't know that he even saw the puck. And then... Uh, the, the, the fourth goal was an empty net goal. Elaine Vigneault opting to pull his goaltender with just under eight minutes to go in the hockey game, uh, down three goals. Uh, Flyers a couple D-zone breakdowns, and in particular on the second goal, the J.G. Pajot goal. Two players, two defensemen, I think it was Phil Myers and Travis Sanheim, go behind uh, or below the goal line for a board battle to get that puck. Somehow an Islander comes out with it and chips it out front. And Sean Couturier left J.G. Pajot, and he puts it in right by Carter Hart in front of the net all alone. Just some uncharacteristic elements to Sean Couturier's game uh, in uh, game one of this series. He hasn't looked like Sean Couturier for a lot of these games in the bubble. Uh, But in particular, game one, he didn't look like Sean Couturier. Um, Flyers uh, need to find a way to get that back. That's a big element. He drives a lot of offense, and his linemates are often a byproduct of some of the great work that he does 
not only offensively but defensively as well. Uh, we'll see if Elaine Vigneault opts to make some lineup changes for game two. Again, this is like a boxing match. You know, you get hit, and then you adjust, and you uh, adjust in between rounds. Round one is done. The Islanders win round one. Uh, it only counts as one round. It doesn't count as four, even though the score was four to nothing, so that's a good thing. But we'll see if Elaine Vigneault opts to put in uh, Robert Haig to get a little bit more size and, and more physicality back on that blue line against the Islanders, who are a very big team, perhaps the biggest team in the NHL, um, and like to set up their guys around the blue paint, or if he's going to opt to – uh, maybe bring James Van Riemsdyk back into the lineup. Uh, he's got some options, and we'll see what the what the counter is from the Flyers' head coach. But right now, let's get to the man. My conversation with former Flyers defenseman Chris Terrian. Joining us right now on Flyers Daily, impressions from game number one as the Flyers go down 4 nothing to the Islanders, is former Flyer defenseman and analyst Chris Terrian. Bundy, um, not the ideal way to start a series, to say the least. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, literally. I mean, literally, the first five minutes is not the way you want to um... – to go out and execute or try to execute and then have the other team kind of walk all over you for the first five or six minutes of the first period was, uh, you know, not the way you wanted things to get, get started. And then you fall down one, nothing. You probably got absolutely reamed by your coach after the first, which you deserved. Uh, Flyers had a good chance. I think to tie it there, Jason, the first with the Hayes breakaway, which he fumbled the puck on. And then they got to the second period and, and they woke up. And they did do a lot of good things in that second period. I thought it might have been their best period since around Robin uh, in the bubble against the Islanders in the second period. They weren't able to show anything for it. I thought Konechny was close a couple times. Uh, uh, Hayes as well, again, uh, were making some decent plays. But, you know, when you're not able to score like that and you get to the third period, boy, I always felt like the next goal, whenever the Islanders got that second goal, if the Flyers weren't able to tie the game, it felt like it was going to be out of reach quick, and that's exactly what happened in the third period. And that breakdown by Coots and the two defensemen on that second goal by Peugeot, uh, which then just kind of—I I mean, any kind of momentum. I, I, and it's funny thing, but I just saw say that I thought the Flyers actually had a very good start to the third period for about the first three or four minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, Islanders are stingy, big team. Uh, they don't give you much, and uh, that's why I felt like that that next goal was so big. And the Flyers were not able to get it. The Islanders, unfortunately, were able to capitalize upon it. Yeah, and self-inflicted wounds against the Barry Trotz team is not a recipe for success. <laughs> you know, it's just not. Um, let, let me take you back to your playing days because, you know, one of the questions I've seen a lot of people asking on social media, um, and as I put out the solicitation for questions for this episode, which I'll get to, um, was why weren't they ready to play? Now, my opinion always been, has been, Bundy, these are professional athletes. It's not on the coach to go in there and deliver some Herb Brooks speech every game. It's the playoffs. It's game one of round two. These are professional athletes. It's incumbent upon the players to make sure that they themselves individually are ready to play and are communicating with their teammates so collectively they're ready to play. Is that how you kind of saw it when you played? Yeah. I did, and, and and there was a growth to that too. I mean, by my you know eighth or ninth year, I was certainly. I I said this somewhere last week in one of the media outlets that you know I I always felt my first three years was just an opportunity to go play in the playoffs and really have fun and, and a chance to win the cup. And then the more pressure mounted on you, but it also became more of an onus as you became a professional and older player to be ready to to go out and figure out what. What, by that time, if you don't know after 500 games in the NHL what you are as a player and what it takes for you to get motivated, well, then you, you probably got some issues between yeah. the ears at that point. Um, but I'll say this. I mean, it, it, um, 
it's it, it is a, it's, it's a process that you go through as a player. I just don't think that uh, I just didn't like the start in, in the game tonight. Any stretch of it, I think that's really where the where the Flyers doom themselves. I mean, you're if you're even in, in that type of situation, uh, you know it might be a different game. But you're right about the coach. I mean, that's why Peter Laviolette is probably only good for about three years anywhere he goes. He gives you know a hundred rah rah Herb Brooks uh, speeches. And then after about three years, you're done listening to them and you've turned the year off. You can't expect your coach to do that all the time and go out and win. It's up to you. And you said it uh, exactly right. And I appreciate the question. But, yeah, it's up to the players to go out and be prepared as professionals to go out and get the job done. Yeah, I mean, and I love it because eventually that that speech becomes, as a player, you're going, seriously, you going there again? We doing this again? (laughs) You know what I mean? The the stories and the the rah-rah gets old. Uh, it, it shouldn't be that way. Um, let me ask you this, because, you know, in, in this series against the Islanders, uh, the Flyers have a back-to-back coming up on Wednesday and Thursday in games two and three, really early in the series. I know you probably didn't play in any, yeah. many, if any, back-to-backs in the playoffs. But after struggling I remember in game one. one. You, got, you had one? Okay. Um, I remember one, yeah. Can, can this be – can you turn this into an advantageous position? Because if you come out in game two – and you respond like they've responded off losses since early January all season, and then to turn around and have another one the next day. Could that be an advantage for the Flyers if they respond from game one into game two? That's the one thing that I think a lot of people are hanging on, the fact that the Flyers have not lost two in a row. And, yes, it's gone back to last year, but they played um, they played a couple games here, you know, in the bubble where they responded well, and I think that's what everybody wants to see. You want to know your team's going to fight back, and they have fought back before. Um, but yes, you know, and I'm one of those guys where I'm a believer, like it's, uh, it's really hard to win two games in back-to-back days against the same team. Mm-hmm. Um, extremely difficult. That being said, the one time I remember playing a back-to-back was a home and home, a home series against Buffalo. It was the game where LeClaire had scored the goal. Remember it went through the net on half. Oh yeah. 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 And we actually won those two games. I think it was a Thursday, Friday, or Friday, Saturday. So, you know, it can happen, but I'm not – it usually doesn't. And then I go back to the Montreal Flyers, uh, you know, the game with that uh, the team. Each team won a game in, in the uh, the two days. But, you know, again, I mean, that, that's not a rule. It's not a law by, by any means. It's, it, and it doesn't certainly uh, – it's not a requirement that you split the games. But, I mean, obviously the next game to me is the critical one. You know, it's funny with the series now, you know, you get down to, uh, one nothing now and – um, it's dire already because if you fall in a hole two nothing, boy, you're, you've got yourself in deep, and then you really got to dig your way out of. Yeah, and the difference, Bundy, is like if you lose two games on the road, and then you go, okay, well, we're coming back home. We haven't lost on home ice yet. There is none of that. This is right. all neutral site. So, great, great point by you, and you're absolutely right. I was just going to say to you that you know you can't you can't use the the love of the crowd at the Wells Fargo Center to find your momentum, and, and you know you lose two games. That was the Flyer home game today too. Um, uh, even though there's nobody there to watch it. But yeah, that's a great, great point by you. And this is a team, quite frankly, that uh, was celebrated uh, by the city of Philadelphia this year, and they deserve to be. They were great at home. They put, the, they, they put a show on for the fans at home the entire year, uh, and these are the circumstances. And I will tell you this. If you're down 2 nothing in the bubble, oof, boy, it'll take a special group to, cr- to crawl out of that hole because it's you against the world at this point. You're there three, four weeks now, and, um, you know, there's – the only thing you have to look forward to is to lift that cup in another six weeks. And uh, that's why being in the series at all times is so, so 
important from at least from where I'm seeing things, it's critical. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, one of the other areas, you know, some of the players that are struggling to end up on the score sheet are some um, s- some fathers on the team. And a- as a as a guy who played and, and you had your three beautiful daughters while you were playing, uh, your son came along yep. later in your career. Um, having a kid, and, and I'm looking at guys like uh, Sean Couturier, who just had a baby right before they left. Uh, you look at a guy like James Van Riemsdyk, who was a healthy scratch, Claude Giroux. Uh, kids going to be turning uh, one years old, maybe even today, um, and, and other, you know, young parents and of babies. What is the effect a young baby can have on a player? Because uh, this is obviously different. I mean, you didn't go into a bubble for six weeks already, but you did go on the road right. likely at, at right. one point or another when you had a kid. Yeah, well, I'll tell you. I mean, the, my second daughter Ava was born. It was uh, January twenty fourth of two thousand and one, and. I went, we were at the hospital. The team had left for Chicago. We played the next night uh, uh, in Chicago. It was, I believe, a Friday or maybe a yeah, Friday, Sunday. And I had to leave 10 minutes after my, my uh, wife had given birth. And I got the plane, uh, you know, a, a commercial flight to Chicago to meet up with the team. And I couldn't wait 48 hours to get home and see my new baby girl. So I can imagine that, that is, uh, that's something that those guys are dealing with. Um, Sean Couturier, specifically JVR. I mean, that's a tough situation. You know, you're going to miss the first four, six weeks of, of your newborn baby and your first child's existence. And I would think that, that there's some there's some sentiment about that. Good thing there's FaceTime, so everybody can get those the looks of their of their new children on on, on that. But again, tough circumstances, Jason. And uh, you know, the hockey players are very very unified with their family. And uh, you know what? I I, I can't imagine that that's not worn on some guys uh, on every single team involved. I'm sure we're not the only team that players just had new newborn babies. Yeah. Look at Tuka Rask. He left the bubble with a team that was a legit chance to win it. And the, he cited family reasons. Um, it's just something that yeah. I, I think does play into it. But, but with that being said, Bundy, uh, the top scorers on this team, um, while zone time is great, possession numbers are great. Scoring chances are great. They got to go in the net to really matter. No, there's no moral victories in the playoffs. I mean, you could say, oh, I played great and everything, but you know what? No one's going to remember you played great in eight months. They're only going to remember that you didn't score. Um, even if you're playing great, you're not producing in the playoffs. It doesn't matter. It, it's completely irrelevant because you're there to produce, and the only way to do it is to outscore the other team. Now, the good thing with it is is that, you know, uh, you lose 4 nothing tonight. Not a lot went on in the game for your team in terms of production at the end of the night. The good thing is you get to turn the page and you get a fresh start. There should be no hangover effect to this. So at least for game two, the Flyers should come out uh, gangbusters. They should feel confident that they've come back and battled back in these series. But this is a different opponent than the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, they have, they have uh, the coach has a very good pulse on his team. They've come together well, like the Flyers have. Uh, but this is gonna. This will be a very, very tough task. It was going to be a tough task before the game tonight. I said it would be in the series. Yep. Um, but I do think that the Flyers cannot play the way they did against the Montreal Canadiens and expect similar results. Yeah, you get away with it against a, a team of that caliber. You don't get away for, with it from a Barry Trotz New York Islanders team. Hey, Bundy, great stuff, man. I appreciate you doing this. And uh, hopefully Wednesday we get a different result and a, and a better effort and, and certainly – uh, make Flyer fans uh, a lot happier if that does indeed happen. We appreciate it. Yeah, keep keep the faith, and uh, you know what? I think that there's there's a lot of reason too. You know, having lost back to back, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna uh, we're gonna believe in this team because they've done a great job all year. All right, special thanks to Chris Terrian for joining us on this episode of Flyers Daily. I, I just thought it was interesting that 
so many of the players with young kids or just had kids are struggling right now to finish. So I thought that was a pertinent question. Um, that being said, they're there. They're there to do a job, and they need to be better, and they need to execute. And the, the, the top scorers on this team need to finish, plain and simple. All right, let's get to some Twitter questions. A lot of questions come in. Let me see how many I can squeeze in here. We start with Gritty Adam uh, at Gritty's Big Stand on Twitter. He says, if you're AV, what's your lineup look like for the next game? Would you consider rolling with an 11 forward 7D lineup? No, I would not. Um, to me, I would uh, probably swap out Shane Goss's bear for Robert Haig. I want that size that Haig provides um, and that physicality against a team like the Islanders who are so big and so strong that I think that's an element that I need in that lineup. I think also the other part of that is that I think Haig just works better with Justin Braun. And then I look up front, I, I, I would think that James Van Riemsdyk comes back into the lineup. Um, who does he come in for? Maybe Derek Grant is a guy that he comes in for. Um, and they, they put James Van Riemsdyk on that third line on the wing. Be interested to see if he ends up coming back and putting Giroux back in the middle. I prefer Giroux on the wing. Uh, with both uh, Couturier and Voracek, but I would even change that line at this point. I would I would put Couturier in the middle of Giroux and Travis Konechny and see if I could ignite all three players. I know the Hayes line with Konechny and Farabee did generate some opportunities, but ultimately they didn't score, and they got shut out 4 to nothing. So I, I want to see a, a, reuni- a reunited line of Couturier in the middle of Giroux and Konechny. That's what I'm looking for. Let's go to a question from The Egg and a bunch of numbers. He says, with respect, we know Drew practices hard and does other positive things on the ice, but one goal in his last 22 playoff games. It sounded like AV wasn't happy with the Flyers' top players. At what point do we start holding him accountable as a captain? Well, we're holding him accountable now. Everybody holds him accountable. If you don't think that Claude Giroux is held accountable, I, I don't know what um, social media site you're on. Uh, he... he is to held accountable, and he needs to be held accountable. While he does practice hard, he plays hard, um, there's never a question of effort when it comes to Drew, but he hasn't finished. He's got 22, go- uh, 22 shots in these playoffs and hasn't scored. It's, it almost defies logic. He's never been a scorer. He's more of a playmaker. Uh, but that being said, yeah, he, he needs to be held accountable. But the thing is, just because he's the captain – doesn't make him need to be held more accountable. The, the C on a jersey is just a letter. There's many guys on a team that lead. All the guys that are struggling need to be held accountable. And I guarantee you, they are. That's what the, this coach does. But what do you want Elaine Vigneault to do? Do you want him to sit Travis Konechny next game and make him a, a healthy scratch? Make Claude Giroux a healthy scratch or Tron Couturier? Is, is, that, is that what being held accountable means? I, I guess to some people it does. I think if you do that, you're a fool because while they haven't scored goals and had tremendous success, what is your alternative? You're still taking your best players off the ice, guys that do things at the other end of the ice and contribute, but they do need to contribute offensively. So I don't know what the word accountable means. Uh, I think those players are held accountable. People are going bananas. And I know everybody wants to throw around one goal in his last 22 playoff games because somebody posted it and did your homework for you, and now everybody is harping on that. But, yeah, he needs to be better. Absolutely. Claude needs to be better. Couturier needs to be better. Konechny needs to be better. Kevin Hayes has one goal. He needs to be better. Jake Voracek's been good in these playoffs. He's the only guy I'll say that doesn't need to be better. If James Van Riemsdyk gets in, he needs to be better. He's got to have more compete. 
Minnesota tweets in and says, Couturier looks off. Is he injured? Well, I have no idea. That's the one thing we have no idea about injuries. Um, to me, though, Sandis, um, he does look off. There was The play on the J.G. Pajot goals I mentioned earlier was uncharacteristic of uh, Sean Couturier to give up his man in front. Um, he doesn't look like he's skating quite the same. I, I think he's been used a little less in face-offs. Um, so he may be dealing with something. I'm not sure. Uh, we don't know that for sure because of the unfit-to-play tag and that they don't give any information on injuries, but uh, he's been uncharacteristically not himself. Uh, maybe that's the best way to put it. At LynchMob450 tweets in, he says, with the, collapse, with the collapsing defense the Isles use, would the best way to beat this be to take shots from anywhere and everywhere hoping for a lucky bounce? No. No, that is not it. Taking shots from anywhere is playing pitch and catch with a goaltender. Um, to score on goaltenders and teams with great defensive structure. And Barry Trott's teams have great defensive structure. Let me just give you this example. In the year before Barry Trotz got there, when Jack Capuano and then Doug Waite was the head coach, the New York Islanders gave up the most goals in the National Hockey League. The most goals. 31st in the league in defense. The next year, under Barry Trotz, the Islanders went from the 31st team in the NHL to the best team in the NHL, giving up the least amount of goals. That's a system. It's a defensive system. And while the year before, it didn't look like their goaltenders could stop a beach ball from the blue line, the next year, those two goaltenders won the Jennings for the lowest combined goals against average and lowest uh, team that gave up the least amount of goals in the NHL. He shaved 102 goals off from the, the coaching staff prior to him to his, his first year with the Islanders and did it without John Tavares. Because Tavares left in that offseason. Um, so, yeah, no. But the, the way to score on them is to, to do what you do when things aren't going well. Is to get bodies to the net and get pucks to the net. Not just shots from anywhere and anywhere hoping for a lucky bounce. No. Doing the things that make goal scoring possible. Like get, getting to the blue paint. Creating traffic. Creating uh, an environment for the opposition goaltender that's not comfortable. It, it, it's tried and true i know it's a cliche we got to get pucks deep we got to get pucks to the net we got to get bodies in that but it's all true it doesn't that that part's never changed about the game uh stacy on twitter at smitty 77 says slow starts have plagued this team all season what does it take to come out firing in the first period like they did in the second period i just talked about that with bundy um uh, look the players got to be ready to go from the puck drop that that's incumbent upon the players it's not on the coaches it's incumbent upon the players and the group as a whole Tyler Hampton tweets in and says, seems like there was an incredible amount of missed or badly timed offensive zone passes tonight. Is it in their heads or are the lines not working? Well, the lines aren't working because they've scored 11 goals and now seven playoff games. So I think Elaine Vino is going to change elements of that. We'll see how much of that he changes. Um, but it's also in their heads. Um, when a team struggles offensively, unfortunately, that is contagious. When a team busts out, sometimes that is contagious as well. Um, you got to hope that they bust out and they start scoring. Uh, look, the goaltender, Semyon Verlamov, has gone 134 minutes and 20 seconds, 136 minutes and 20 seconds without giving up a goal. Now, he's doing it in an environment that's advantageous for a goalie, but it's still 136 minutes and 20 seconds of shutout hockey. At Chief113 says, I just started watching hockey. Was that a bad game or is that a very good defensive team? Um, they are a very good defensive team. They're one of the best defensive teams in the NHL, and again, under that Barry Trot system, they're very good. But it was also a bad game where the Flyers didn't execute enough. At Sketchy Saga says, where's the net front presence to set a screen? Great point. 
I talk about it all the time. As a goaltender, it is look at the first goal that the Islanders scored. It was the goal by Andy Green. The reason why they scored that goal is because Carter Hart picked up the puck very late. Didn't get didn't get the read on the puck off the stick. That makes it really hard for a goalie. Because all the goalie is doing is reading elements of the shooter and the stick and the puck initially to make saves. You can't react fast enough for how hard these guys shoot. And it looked like he reacted a little late because he didn't see the puck off the stick. And the information you, the goalie gets is how the shoulders of the shooter are placed. Is the stick blade open or closed? Where's the puck in relation to the shooter's body? Where's the lane for the puck to get through? If you don't see any of that, it makes the save a thousand times harder. So great point by Sketchy Saga. Yeah, they need net front presence in front of Varlamov, much like they needed it against Carey Price. Goalies are so good now. If they see all of that stuff and it's a a clear-sighted shot from a distance, they're going to make the save. When they don't, that's when you score. At Delco Flyers says, I, I missed it, but what was your gut feeling on how this series would play out, especially considering we didn't beat them once this year? Feel like whomever wins the season series usually wins the playoff series should they meet. Uh, I disagree with that. Totally disagree with that. I don't think the regular season means anything. I know the Flyers went 0-2-1 against them, and, and look, they may end up losing the series to the Islanders. But that being said, I don't think that has anything to do with it. The team that they played and lost to in the regular season Remember, each Flyers game against the Islanders this year, the Flyers were on the back end of a back-to-back, and the Isles weren't. And they faced them twice in the first two months of the season in October and November. The Islanders had a 10-game win streak from mid-October to November 5th and got points in 16 of 18 games at that time. But the team had the Flyers scheduled, had them scheduled in March or late February, it would have been different. The Islanders lost seven straight games before the NHL paused and lost 11 of their last 13 games. Had the season not been paused because of the pandemic, the Islanders probably wouldn't have made the playoffs. But they're a far different team now, like the Canadians were, like Vancouver is now, like the Chicago Blackhawks were when they upset their way into the first round by beating the Edmonton Oilers, who were very good in the regular season. It's so different now. And the variables with playing in a bubble, playing in a neutral site location, are we don't know what the recipe is. We still don't, and we're in the second round of the playoffs now. Nicky Knack 21 says, when will AV try to reunite the Cooch, G, and TK line? He's willing to try every other combo so far in the playoffs. Hallelujah, man. I totally agree. I talked about it already. I would love to see that line. Absolutely want to see that line together. All right, that's going to put a wrap on Twitter questions. It's a rough night, everybody. I get it. I, I feel it, too. And it was a frustrating start to the series. But here's the deal. Again, like the 5 nothing loss in Game 2 to the Canadians, it only counts as one game. Just because they won 4 nothing doesn't make it count for two games to none or four games to none. It's just one game. And the Flyers have responded in this situation. They need to respond again. And this is an interesting week because now you have a game on Wednesday and Thursday. The Flyers can work that to their advantage if, 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 and only if, They come out Wednesday and have a much better start to the game, dictate, get the first goal, and control that game for a full 60 minutes. If you do that, you carry that confidence and that momentum right into the next day, and then you can take the lead in the series. But that's only if, again, if you come out in game two and take care of business. That's what they need to do. All right, 
This episode of Flyers Daily brought to you by Penn Medicine, the official health system of the Philadelphia Flyers and Wells Fargo Center. Supporting our Flyers, Penn Orthopedics creates the ideal care plan with treatment options fueled by our own world-renowned research, doing what once seemed impossible so you can too. Another reason why your life is worth Penn Medicine. Learn more at pennmedicine.org slash ortho and give them a follow on Twitter at Penn Medicine. Game two coming up on Wednesday, 3 o'clock. So just about uh, a day away, a little bit more than a day away for the Flyers to exact some revenge on the New York Islanders. In the meantime, everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you on tomorrow's episode of Flyers Daily.